0: WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com.
1: It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, henhouse, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on
0: DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru.
1: Kaiser Shizzy. No, that's Matthew Sosie. It's stupid such cup. a
2: fine line between stupid and clever, yes. Yeah.
1: Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host,
0: Matthew Sosi.
1: Film lovers, Welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Soce. The show's available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes. And we have a blog, which someday will be updated at filmsociology.tumblr.com. A little later on in the show, I have Tim Irwin, my buddy, hanging out with me. We're going to talk about movies and what we can and can't watch with our families. But first, it's been a busy weekend. You all Go see a good movie. We all deserve it. But I had, on three separate phone lines... Three folks involved with the musical It Should Have Been You and we had one of the actors in studio. It Should Have Been You is at the Studio Theater at the Center for the Performing Arts running January 27th through February 12th. You can go to or or call 317 843 3800 for more information on this musical comedy. So, in studio with Cindy Collins, who plays uh, Georgette Howard, we had book and lyrics on one phone, Brian Hargrove. We had music and concept on another phone, Barbara Anselmi. And directing the original Broadway production on another line, David Hyde Pierce. Three actors, on, or three folks on three separate lines, an actor in studio, and it sounded a little something like this. So, ladies and gentlemen, at at the time of this recording, a big major event in history is happening. So I'm glad that we are going from a diversion of a country divided to the ultimate division, the family <laughs> wedding. Um, I oh, guess. That's,
3: yes, that's great. Thank you. That's good advertising.
1: <laughs> um, we'll talk to advertising on that. I guess, Barbara, where did it should have been? You began in your world.
4: Um, In my world, it actually began in Livingston, New Jersey, where Cindy and I are both from. Um, It began at the Crystal Plaza (laughs) at a wedding there, (laughs) where some hijinks went on. And I thought the hijinks were so much more interesting than the wedding, and I thought it would be cool to write about them. And I did, and I got a bunch of people on board to write with me, a bunch of lyricists. And then... Uh, one of them said, I want to write the song for the ex-boyfriend, but he's actually not really going to be singing the song as much. The family's going to sing it to him. And then he said, I got the hook. He said, the hook is It Should Have Been You, and I just loved it. And I, I had no idea that it's, it's almost as common of an occurrence as the best man telling the groom that he's got a car outside <laughs> that if he wants to uh, <laughs> not go through <laughs> with the wedding. That a lot of um, brides' families have told a lot of ex-boyfriends that it should have been them, and then um, and then I uh, after it should have been you got written uh, in class when we presented it. Somebody said, "I want to know what happened," and I thought so did I. So and Barbara, on... what class is this? Yeah, is it BMI, right, oh, Barb? Um, yes, I was in the BMI musical theater workshop. And, what is that and exactly? we presented songs in class of, of you know, our pieces that we were working on at the time. And this was just a concept of a bunch of different songs that happened, at the, at, you know, just the, the different points of view of people at the wedding. And then after this got, it should, when you got written, I went on search for a book writer. And then I found Brian or Brian found me. It was kind of a mutual finding. So, Brian, what was? You... Actually...
3: Go ahead. Uh, I said I came out of a bottle, like a
1: genie. <laughs> what wish is she on?
4: I rubbed the lantern three times. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, what? Uh,
3: well, what happened with me is, um, Barbara and I actually met at uh, the Summerstock Theater, where I got my start, called the Weatherby oh Theater my God. in New Hampshire. Do you know
4: it? Oh, of course. Okay. Well, Judy, the woman, there? the the girl playing Judy in the show, is a Weather Vane alumni. Oh, that's fantastic.
5: Well, please tell her I said hi. Well, I will. It's my my partner, Judy Fitzgerald, who's playing Judy Steinberg. Excellent. Well, that's really fun. Yeah.
3: Uh, anyway, so Barbara and I met there, and for two of us, and um, I had just uh, basically come back from Los Angeles, and I wanted to write a Broadway musical or a musical. Uh, the Broadway part was just wishful thinking And um, I really liked Barbara's music And she uh, said, hey, I, I love that song It should have been you And she said, well, I'm looking for a book writer I've got all of these songs about weddings In and around weddings And uh, and I said, well, gosh, if I can think of a story um, To go with some of these songs I would, I'd be happy to uh, to do it And um, because I, I think I, I had said Something like uh, the idea of uh, doing a show about a wedding kind of makes me physically ill. (laughs) But if I could think of a story that I would want to see uh, that took place around a wedding, then I would be uh, excited about it. Anyway, cut to about three months later, walking down the street, I got this idea about what if something else was going on at the wedding, and the wedding was kind of – Uh, A part of this thing that's going on and uh, pitched it to Barbara and she loved it and the rest is uh, six years later history.
1: Now, uh, I guess Brian, this sounds like it would be a wedding if it was from the point of view of Hugh Grant's friends in Four Weddings and a Funeral.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You know, I actually think that would make a great uh, musical for Weddings and a Funeral. I, I talked to Barbara about it at one point, but I think we're kind of uh, wedding musical out at this point. <laughs> that would make a – it's exactly – that's exactly right. I mean, you sort of nailed it on the head. Everyone listening who loved Four Weddings and a Funeral will love It Should Have Been You.
1: I think the feeling is unless you're with the immediate party and you're in basically in the stands, you're just kind of watching everything, you're, 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 you're happy for the couple, but I think you also want a little bit of entertainment. Well, uh Yeah. Whether it's yeah. whether it's intentional or unintentional, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at least you want to dance. So, uh. <laughs> so I guess Brian, I mean, were, were you were you studying wedding staple songs or wedding bands or DJs? Did they did they come into play at all as an influence when when writing?
3: Well, Barbara wrote music, so I'd have to ask her that. Okay,
1: yeah, she's the, she's a composer. So we just well. These,
3: uh, the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was say,
1: do, do we, are we making fun of the umpteenth use of, use of "at last" at a wedding?
5: Um
4: No,
1: but we. A all... tiny
4: bit. Well, there is, <laughs> there is that song. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what. There's a there's one piece of music that it's it is a song that I wrote for the show, but I put it in the style of "At Last." Okay. For their first wedding dance. Cool. So it's a song oh. that is actually in the show. It's yeah. perfect.
5: That's right, Brian and Rebecca. That's right, they dance. That's their first dance. But what about what about the day you die? <laughs> what about what Greg and Annie oh, say you know yeah. oh come on. Yeah. A, Matthew,
4: you know what it is? It's not that there was anything taken from DJs, but there are there there were definitely parts that were written because certain things happen at weddings. Um, And one of the things that has happened at a lot of weddings that I've been at is the guests get drunk, and sometimes if there's a band, they'll get up and sing with the band.
1: Which every musician loves. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
4: And that is one of our moments in our show, Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm.
4: when that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a little more planned. And I I wouldn't doubt that some of these people who get up at the weddings were considering getting up with the band before they had a little something to drink, and the drink just gave them a little bravery to get up there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, our moment is definitely a planned moment by the guests to sing with the band, but it really, <laughs> you know, there are so many things that do happen in the show that have happened at real weddings. Yeah. I, I, a lot I of mean, it, it, it is taken from that reality.
3: Right. If if you were asking, like, if... um. You will recognize a lot of fun and funny things that happen at weddings, uh, while at, at the same time, hopefully, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure you will be em- emotionally involved with a story that's happening mm-hmm. that um that you were not expecting.
1: Right, I, I haven't I haven't asked a lot about the plot because I think you you mentioned one. I know there's a lot of there's a lot of goodies that you just don't want to spoil. Yeah. But two, I think you say wedding, and everybody has their own point of view, their own view uh, those things of, of what they expect to see and or happen at a wedding. So they're kind of set up raring to go before they even step into the theater. I hope.
5: We hope so well, too. <laughs> a lot of
3: people, a lot of people, we would go and hang out in the audience uh, frequently, and all and all in all the different places around the country that has been, been done and being done. And so many times you hear, oh, my God, this is just like my wedding, right. or almost just like my wedding, or that happened at my wedding. And so there's a lot of recognition going on when people watch the show. Or thank it God this fun... didn't
1: happen at my wedding. I'm sorry? Or thank God this didn't happen at my wedding. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, nice. yeah. so uh, David, I was wondering how much of this was directing when you did it, and how much of it was actual wedding planning?
0: Uh, um, well, that's a good question. It's there's not much difference, I don't think
1: really, um, you know, there's a,
0: this great character of a wedding planner in the show who seems to be psychic and sort of intuit what's going to happen before it happens and knows how to handle everything. And, uh, until something finally happens that even he didn't expect. And um, I think that's a little bit like directing. You you think you know what's going to happen, and then an actor or a set piece or something throws something at you that you didn't expect. And, um, yeah, and, uh, and hopefully hopefully they all end happily, both the productions and the weddings.
1: Right. And this this was your, your first time directing on stage?
0: Yeah, when we did it out of town, the first very first production ever, uh was done at the George Street Playhouse mm-hmm. in uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And so I directed that, and that was the first thing I'd ever directed. And uh, in spite of how that went, they kept me, and we took it to Broadway. Oh,
5: no, I saw that production. It was- <laughs> you saw it? Oh, oh, sure. Oh, sure. I, My mom and I went over to see it, um, and I was in from the city in New Jersey just for the weekend, and I said, oh, my God, it's at George Street. So my mother and I mm-hmm. just got tickets real quick, went over, because my mother was born in New Brunswick, uh, and went over and saw it, and uh, Barbara called me immediately after the performance and said, well, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it's great. I said, you know, and at that time at George Street, it still was a work in progress uh, right. to my eyes, you know? And, um, well, but but I knew it, it, God, I knew it had something. Yeah.
1: I guess David as an actor were were you able to obviously see things from a fresh pair of eyes from a directing standpoint, and have you been able to uh, look at di- directing differently as an actor now that you've had that experience on that side of the stage
0: yeah totally uh totally i uh, um i you know i I think that being an actor um, brings a certain amount of insight into how to talk to actors, uh, although you really have to learn um, how to talk to a whole bunch of different kinds of actors because people have very different uh, ways of working and um, so that that's a bit of a learning curve and uh, and yeah coming back to being an actor after having directed I have much more of a sense of uh, well shutting up <laughs> and letting the director do his job
1: well you say you uh, you you had there are different types did you see your type when you were directing
0: uh, oh good question um I know he's. I'm not lot.
1: Sure, you know, I don't know if I, I could identify
0: what my type is. I think. Uh, I think mainly uh, what I'm talking about is, is, you know, because I just know how I work. I one, you sort of assume, oh, that's how everyone works, and I might give a note that I would have understood and realized, oh, that's not the right way to talk to this person, um, and so you have to sort of uh, figure out how, what works best for who.
1: Mm-hmm okay um I, oh, yes. I can
3: speak for one thing about David and and, and uh, from a director point of view first off I think he's a great director as, as he's a good director. he is an actor and we know what kind of actor he is but I would also say um a, a good actor by the way and um Thanks. or I meant great sorry. <laughs> uh, but I would say this um for me it was a little bit um frustrating because it was like well you didn't give that actor that note I was talking about and David said he would go he, he
4: he
0: knew
3: exactly when to give a note to an actor so that either he would let them find it on their own or uh, often they would find it so he wouldn't have to give the note, but he would would give it to them when they were ready to hear it so that it would be easy for them to incorporate the idea into their performance. And uh, that kind of timing, um, I think, makes him uh, one of the great directors because that's very difficult to um, Mm -hmm. suss out, Mm -hmm.
4: I
5: think.
3: Yeah.
5: No,
1: I I agree, I, agree. I, I have to agree as
5: well 100%.
1: Yeah, there's there's some notes you can give to a cast and then there's some that you maybe to a particular actor in that group and then sometimes you just got to pull them aside and let them know individually.
0: Uh, that's yeah. true and also as, as Brian was saying knowing knowing when to give the notes, you know, when when someone is able to hear it. Um yeah. you know, like teaching or or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or wedding planning. <laughs>
3: yeah. And you have to put up with the writer looking at you like when
1: are you going to give that note? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, as far as wedding planning as well, I know uh, at, at my wedding we had somebody who we kind of made the unofficial stage manager to make th- sure things were going in the right direction at the right time. You know, being able for bride and groom to be able to decompress before eating or letting the f- the guests eat first. I mean, it's, you know. It's it, a production. It literally yeah. is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cindy, now tell us—I mean, tell yes, us—one of the characters. You're, you're, tell us about the character you're playing in this production, and then I'm going to open it up to everybody w- in a little bit.
5: Uh, I play Georgette Howard. Uh, Georgette is the mother of the groom, Brian Howard. They are a bit of a uptight Catholic family—not not Brian, but his father, George—and uh, Georgette. is a great role. The mothers in this show, uh, you know, the the mother of the bride, Judy Steinberg, the Jewish family, and and you have Georgette from the Catholic family, and they're so different. And yet they have to tolerate each other this day. Uh, Georgette moves to the gin. Drinking to that's, that's get
1: G G I N. That is not G Y M. That is just. that is
5: G I N. Yes, uh, in the glass with ice. She's big on the ice, um, and uh, she gets she does that to get through the day. She loves her son dearly. She just adores him. Um, of course, she thinks he's making the biggest mistake of his life, and 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 you know. I, I can't give too much away, but right. it, it it is those, those, those two characters are just fantastic. And you had the remarkable Tyne Daly, of course, and Harriet Harris uh, playing these roles in the Broadway show. And they were actually, I believe, with the project for quite some time, if I'm correct, yep. and um, from what I followed. And, you know, those are some big shoes to fill. And it's difficult, and I'm speaking as an you know obviously as an actor, you never ever want to impersonate, you never want to copy. Um, I'm I'm adamant with myself as an actor about that. I do not want to you know, but I got to tell you, <laughs> what these women did in the show, you know, and of course to David to you directing them was damn near perfect and so it is v- it's very hard not to slide into so, doing some of that i understand so you know, in, in some a way of that.
1: in a way your weapon is your fist as opposed to tines which would probably be like a chain or a chair
5: oh well <laughs> if they had a fight judy steinberg would take georgette out I, okay
1: that was going to be my next question oh the, yeah the, 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 oh yes the two moms Absolutely. the two moms in a steel cage match who gets out first i mean
5: verbally they're they're both wicked wicked you know smart but, um, oh, I, oh, God, that Judy, she's tough, That's Judy Steinberg. But I, I with, do think that, um,
3: personally, I think how uh, Georgette would uh, would win uh, verbally because uh, well, she— Well, she's, she, um, she's
5: sharp. They both have very sharp tongues, you know, I think. Yeah. I think. Um, Judy's more likely to scream and
3: Georgette's <laughs> more likely to make points. But, you know, I mean, Judy's got it in her, as we find out in the course of the play. Absolutely. Um, and who knows, they might even—it might work out okay,
5: so. And and eventually they they will be friends. I mean truce. They're they're at a truce at the end, of course, and it's all coming together. And Judy says, "Well, we'll work up to friends." You know. Well, I think that um,
3: it's interesting that you say that because I I mean I agree. I actually wrote the part for Harriet Harris. Uh, yeah. That's the part of I'm it, sure yeah. you. Oh I've known yes. Her forever. Oh yeah, it's written. Um, I
5: mean, you could tell.
3: But but in the course of working on it, I discovered uh working on it with harriet i discovered a lot of things that i wasn't expecting and so in that sense there's a lot of um there's a lot of room uh for the choices of the actress to make yes and I, uh, yeah. there are a lot of questions that i was sort of had an idea when i was writing it and either harriet uh either played it that way or sometimes didn't play it that way but she made it ambiguous and mm. um i found that much more interesting uh really what her motivate i mean how she felt about uh, different things, and again, I, I hesitate to, to to say all these uh, to say something because I'm afraid I'll give away a part of the plot. I know,
1: right? I know. I guess you're saying this makes all about Eve look like a pinter play. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well,
3: in terms of in terms of um, language, I, I I would have to say. Uh, Georgette is up there with the best of them
5: yeah she she does no she does, and she's her job i mean georgette's her life never never she never you never see her she doesn't sweat in front of people Georgette Howard doesn't sweat in front of people she is they are country club people, they are everything is perfect, my son is perfect, and that's why there is a part in the show where she just did doesn't know what she did, where did I go wrong, you know, and you'll see that she just she doesn't get it what did she you know she thought she was just doing everything perfectly.
3: But and like you said, on surface she doesn't um, she doesn't show, but uh, there's a lot going on underneath. Oh, a lot she's of
5: my back. god! I mean, yeah. I'm making breakfast. You know, I mean, so uh, with a twist. I mean, the woman is. <laughs>
4: she's,
5: yes. She's,
3: so she she's, she has. I mean, it may seem surface, uh, kind of surface kind of person that she is, but in point of fact, um, uh, wasps has feelings too. Like I, <laughs> I say.
1: So it sounds like at the very least, um, you know, the the cast of it should have been you could challenge Tony and Tina's wedding to a rumble.
3: <laughs> well, um,
1: okay, <laughs> yeah, I <think> there's, there's <laughs> room for everybody, but yeah, there you go. Um, I, I guess like it. Uh, Barbara, you mentioned earlier, and I'm going to go around the around the board with this. You mentioned you you attended a wedding and uh, a long time ago, and some shenanigans happened. Can you get into specific shen- shenanigans? Hmm.
4: I can get into specific, but I will not name names. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> I was sitting at a table, uh, and I actually went up to sing with the band. Not drunk, requested, actually. Uh, the bride had requested that I uh, sing Let's Call the Whole Thing Off. Mm.
0: <laughs> this is because the
4: band refused to play it. Um. And I did that. I actually did like a little, what do they call it today? A mashup of um, that and uh, Embraceable You. Yeah, of
5: course you did.
4: And when I got back to my seat, um, I, had, I had I brought one of my best friends uh, to the wedding as a date. And uh, I asked him how I did. And he said he didn't know. And I thought I did really bad. And he said, what do you mean you don't know? He started to smile, and I said, what happened? And um, he met somebody in the restroom. I'll leave that at that, and everybody can use their imagination to figure out what might have or might not have happened. So he had just missed me singing the song, that's all. He just didn't know how I did. He really didn't know. Um, and so that was a shenanigan. And then I also happened to be sitting next to... Uh, the bride's ex-boyfriend, and I had wished it would have been him. Um, I have so changed my mind since then, but at that time, you know, I actually thought he was the one she would really end up marrying, and so I was, you know, I didn't tell him that directly. I wasn't as brazen as the Steinberg family, but that was what I felt uh, at the time. So... And, and why is that
3: Barbara? You you didn't know him or you didn't like him or
4: You know, her, I just didn't I wasn't able to have a a decent relationship with the man she was marrying and the other guy I was great friends with. And, you know, and I just thought, you know, and and just knowing them, I thought that was, you know, what was going to happen. So mm-hmm. Now everything's all changed, and I'm I'm at, I'm actually very uh, good friends with both her and her husband now. So it's, it's did you ever tell them you felt that way? <laughs> oh yeah, I actually right after she told me she got engaged, I was like, <laughs> Oh, I thought you were gonna marry Matt. So <laughs> that's so what, what the bride wants to, wants to hear.
0: <laughs> like,
4: well, oh, no, I I mean I was happy for her, but then I like you know. I don't know. You best friends since you're like six years old. You can't tell her the truth.
1: Well, yeah. can anybody top that? As yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, something that happened at
3: a
0: wedding? Sure. Or, uh... Yes. Oh, hmm. uh, I think I think Barbara wins on that one. I do too.
1: That's, that's why she came up with the idea of the show. I think she,
0: uh, that's right. her personal experience trumped, trumped everything, so to speak.
1: Yeah, my my wife sang at a wedding where the groom actually did repeat the priest and he did say, awfully wedded wife. Uh, that's a, that's a distant second. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah, I, d- I did say to the father of the groom, for what it's worth, I would actually watch your wedding video again. That's <laughs> funny.
3: But now, um, that, that line is actually in for weddings and a funeral, isn't it?
1: Yeah yeah so the yeah, fact that the right. fact that it's been captured on film and it was it still happened
3: yeah that's great so. um i can, well, i i can speak for myself when i was uh, young my my brother's my oldest brother's first marriage um he was uh uh we're episcopalian and, and in episcopalian uh, weddings you stand up the whole time well this i was mm-hmm. uh, I think 16 or 17, and it was kind of my first major experience with um, Andre Champagne. <laughs> the
1: <night before. laughs>
3: the and finest. I was, fortunately, I was an usher at the wedding, Oh so I was able to. I, which means I was in the back, uh, which was because we. That's just the way we did it. We 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 walked them up the aisle, and then they we went in the back. Thank goodness, because. Uh, didn't make it through the whole thing. And I hope he doesn't listen to this, because I don't think they know that I didn't. But that one didn't last, so it's okay anyway.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. That doesn't count. Well, with that being said, it should have been you as playing in Indianapolis. Do we have the dates uh, on that? Actually, that? in Carmel. In Carmel, sorry. Uh, at
5: the Performing Arts Center in Carmel at the Studio Theater. For tickets, 317-843-3800 or visit atistage.org. And please come see the show because it is hilarious and the cast is wonderful.
1: Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, I do want to say thank you so much for your time. and, and for thank the, you, Matthew. And for the record, this conversation is actually longer than me getting you all on the phone at the same time. So I appreciate everyone's time. <laughs>
0: good, great And, Cindy, have thank a Thank
5: you. Show. Thank you so much. We do love you, it. Can,
3: like, when, do you, when do you open?
5: We open next Friday, so we'll go into tech. Uh, we go into tech right after this
1: weekend. The musical comedy "It Should Have Been You" is running through February twelfth at the Studio Theater at the Center for the Performing Arts. That's up north. You can call three one seven eight four three thirty eight hundred or go to ati stage for more information. That was fun. Okay, back to one-on-one conversation. Tim Irwin is hanging out with me. Tim, how you doing?
2: Doing well. Good to be here again.
1: Great. I'm really glad that you'd be here, especially on, on just a film fan capacity. Tim's one of, of my course. semi-regulars. So, uh-huh. and And- Actually, to prep things up,
2: you just got back from seeing La La Land finally at the time of this chat. I did, yeah. My son's almost two, so it takes a little bit for me and my wife to get out to see films. So we all, we're all always a few weeks behind with everything that's not called Star Wars. Uh, finally got to see La La Land, which was, which was good. Did you take the son? We did not. Good, good move. Yeah, that's, that's right. He's not quite there yet. You know, we don't want to be those people in the theater, even Thank though it was you. Friday morning at 11 and only two oh, other people so were there. You were but... with my, my people, the old, the unemployed, and the weird. <laughs> I think uh, on Friday, people who also wanted to skip the inauguration. Oh, that thing. Yes, yes, of course. Um, so, how big a crowd was it? Literally me, my wife, and two single ladies. Wow. Yeah. All right, so, so your thoughts on the film? You know, this is probably a bad one for me because on a personal level, I'm not a big fan of musicals and I'm not a big fan of music movies. And this is kind of both. I mean, it's definitely a musical. It's also a lot about music. Um, I had a couple issues with Whiplash. You know, I enjoyed that film overall. Um, And there's not much negative I can say about uh, La La Land from a technical standpoint. I mean, I thought Emma Stone was really good. Um, Ryan Gosling learning to play the piano was was pretty great too. But I kind of just wanted to watch Mulholland Drive again and revisit <laughs> Umbrellas of Cherbourg, you know, there, there was just, I, I want that darker underbelly type uh, aspect to it from time to time. I
1: had mentioned Umbrellas as a comparison, and uh, I, I, I didn't see Mulholland. That's actually pretty good, because I refer to and Drive as David Lynch's All About Eve.
2: Yeah, and, th- th- you know, aspiring actress trying to get everything right and, and, and do it and become the girl. She is the girl. And, right. And, you know, th- there's that element, but I, I like the a little bit more twisted side as opposed to things.
1: And then the other one I I say if you if you enjoyed well you're talking about darker t- darker tones um any version of a star is born even the rock one with Barbara Streisand and Chris <laughs> Christopherson there's a little bit of that in there the whole um their careers don't meet at the same time kind of thing. Okay. And uh Martin Scorsese's New York New York mm. which 40 years ago which it also opened the same weekend as Star Wars. Who knew? <laughs> but, but, but Scorsese wanted to make an MGM musical and a Cassavetes film at the same time. And uh, it, it didn't do well with some
2: folks, yeah, but uh, it's a little jarring. Not. There are two musicals that I love, absolutely love. Singing in the Rain is fantastic. My little guy loves watching the Make Him Laugh clip, which is oh, still yeah. amazing totally. this, this many years later. But maybe even better than that, I love Cannibal! Exclamation the musical, <laughs> which is a fantastic musical. Now, you have not shown him this, right? I have not shown okay. it to him yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Someday, maybe when he's four or five. No, I'm just kidding. It's Trey Parker and Matt Stone's oh, yeah. first film uh 93 or something. I think Troma picked it up a couple years after yep. the, he made it, they made it. So, but the songs are so good and it's it's just absurd in so many different ways and it's so much fun. I've made uh everybody I've ever worked with, I think I've made them watch it at some <laughs> point. Um how'd that work out friends, for you? I, some of them still talk to me. From time
1: to time, <laughs> I, I I have that effect with uh there there are two well and my my daughter who re- will remind me I'm, I'm a terrible father I'm a terrible friend
2: terrible human being because I showed them manos the hands of fate. The the non ms 3 TK? Oh one? no no no! Come on, I'm not a complete monster. Okay. I've so. only watched the non. I've only watched the original, and, and, I, it's I, watched, I, and it's almost it's so boring. I spoke with Mary Jo Fell, and she also said
1: I was a terrible father for yeah. showing that out to my child. <laughs> so yeah, all right. So yeah, we've. I think we have this thing. I think the last one I inflicted on folks was Miami Connection. Mm. Um, okay. it, we also kind of gabbed through
2: that one a little bit,
1: so yeah. that kind of that kind of helped.
2: In college, I almost lost a couple of roommates showing them Takashi Miike and Peter Granaway movies. Uh, the, <laughs> the Takashi Miike ones that you don't hear about after Quentin Tarantino. Like Boiling Point? Boiling Point? No, uh Mike did, you know, Audition and Ichi a killer. Oh that one. And oh, no, I'm thinking of yeah. Beat Takeshi. Sorry. Yeah, no, Sorry. Oh, his movies are awesome and, right. and really good too. But you like, showed Friends Audition? No, it was one of his other ones that oh. is way worse than Audition. And yeah, really. Yeah, we'll talk about it after the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So And the stuff like The Cook the Thief, the what his wife, her lover, you know, not everyone's going to appreciate that kind of high level of art. And sure there's a famous scene at the end, but there's a whole rest of an amazing movie that goes it, on it before is. that.
1: And Prospero's books, saying, yeah,
2: yeah, so much. Uh, it's really art in a film form in ways that you don't really see very much anymore. Exactly.
1: So okay, so so you, but yeah, you, dug, you 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 like La La Land? I like parts of it. Okay, okay. I like I like the last twenty minutes a lot, but overall, I was just without without giving away thing giving much away, folks. Yeah. Um, it gives you both endings. Yeah, it kind of does. There, there is a there is kind as I'm watching it, and first ending is happening. As an audience member, because I was, I was engaged with the whole film from the, from the get-go. It's a wonderful opening scene. Um, it's a great example of setting the, setting the environment for what you are in with that great mm-hmm. single-shot musical number, and they're fine. They're not the best singers, but I think it humanizes it. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's like everyone says, I love you, love's labor's lost, even to a, and to a lesser degree, Mamma Mia. Mm-hmm. You know, there are various styles of various degrees of singing ability. Yeah, and I appreciate that. A human, we yeah. all don't sound like Marnie Nixon. We all don't dance like Gene Kelly. So, but so we we're getting into ending one, which I don't want to give away. But it, there's almost a, oh, we're gonna get the ending that probably a lot of audience members do, and in a way, it's the director kind of and writer kind of waving a middle finger at you, <laughs> for what we've gone through, and then we wind up getting the second ending, the yeah. ending that is the ending of the film, and yeah. it works. I think I think it worked out. Um, it's interesting because there's a film that opened this weekend that has a, a tagged ending. It has an ending. I don't think it's it, it earned it. I don't think mm-hmm. it is earned it.
2: I'll get to that in a little bit. So
1: anyway. I think uh, I wanted to vague like enough it on more. That? Yeah,
2: I th- we were pretty vague. It's not the Inception style: is the coin gonna <laughs> oh, drop or not right. type of ending. It it does give you both, and, uh, it, and there's pretty clearly a, a one that actually happened, and then there's I think the one that the audience wants to happen, and you kind of get to see them both. So I that that tickled me. You know? Yeah, and and it goes yeah. it goes for a bit. I'm like, oh, we're really gonna do- okay. Yeah, it went through everything. <laughs> so okay, so anyway, but really technically very impressive. I mean that that opening shot, uh, pulling that off, um, a lot of the other elements in it, and that movie you know it's not gonna get made anymore these days no i think that's cool i think if you enjoy that style and that genre you're gonna have a blast
1: and it's an original musical that's that's rare these days there are certain things like the single tracking shot the single shot it's kind of like there are certain cliches like the the guitar the for me the blues guitarist who leaves the set the stage and wanders around the bar with his cordless everybody Mm. does it it's still it's still fun I think yeah. a single a single tracking shot like the one in La La, La it still works it's fun yeah. you know my daughter's old enough that she now
2: recognizes things like still going <laughs> it's still going a, yep. it. yeah it is the one problem I have with those shots now that that it, it, it keeps happening more and more, it seems. I I find myself looking for the cut more than I do watching the shot. Birdman. And then, yeah, with Birdman, I'm like, oh, yeah, they went behind the door, they cut there. Right. And even Does it pull you out of it? You know, a little bit it does, because I'm I'm thinking, all right, when are they going to cut? Have they cut yet? I don't think they have. Oh, did they go behind someone's back and cut there? But I I think
1: that's like uh, people have said, many people have said, if you don't remember the score, the film does its job. I think Hans Zimmer would like a word with you. I think Ennio Morricone would like a word with you. There are exceptions to that
2: rule, I think. Yeah, if it's transcendent... then it's fantastic you, you generally only remember The really good Or the really bad of, of elements like the score Like you'll remember A really bad score Which I can't even think Of any examples of Because usually They kind of get lost I guess But the sure. transcendence score You'll remember And then for the most part If it You know I, I kind of do think if it, if it hides a little bit And contributes to the mood And the feeling of the film Then it, it's done An admirable job Maybe not fantastic But if you don't remember Talking about Inception again The from the trailer I mean you know There's something wrong there <laughs> Right um, okay, um, before we get caught up, because
1: there's there's thousands of movies, Tim and I could talk about this anyway, but, but there's a couple of films that opened in theaters this weekend, and um, the first one I want to say, it opened last week, and it was something that was not sent to the press, and uh, that we were kind of bummed about that, um, but it's uh, Martin Scorsese's Silence. And I, my justification is I think Paramount didn't send it to us because I think they wanted to push everything forward with fences. Mm-hmm. That's that's my guess. Um, it is a challenging, at times harsh film to watch. Um, it's Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver who are uh, missionaries going through Japan to find an old missionary who uh, is considered missing and or maybe lost his faith, played by Liam Neeson. Um, and so we get to follow these these priests along the way. Um, and there is enough of a contingency of Japanese v- folks who are uh, who have uh, accepted God and, uh, and have become Christians. And then there's a lot that don't. This is set in the 1600s, where um, if you're caught, death is a distinct possibility. And what's fascinating about the film is it, it questions what is faith and what and some of the things that come with faith. So there's a, a constant occurrence that happens where when when the Japanese army captures you and they think you're Christian, they're going to ask you to put your foot on a picture of Jesus. And and if you don't do it, they're going to they're going to kill you. And so something as simple as an act. But what the difference between what you do as a physical act and what you do as a spiritual act in your head. Mm. I mean, it really addresses—this is a tough—I think Richard Probst and I have talked about this before. So a l- problem with a lot of Christian cinema is that they preach to the choir and they are not challenging. This is not God's Not Dead 3, <laughs> um, not even by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And I think the fact that the, it it captures that is, you know, can you, can you take somebody's mind and body and spirit? Um, it's very powerful work. Um, my daughter and I were kind of silent as we were walking out of the film and as we were having lunch. Um it's re again, it's not for everybody. And it didn't have the. It probably could have been ten minutes, but it's. We
2: we joke every other every film should be every other film should be twenty minutes shorter. Cut ten percent off the running time if it's a short film. Make it two minutes shorter if it's a feature. Right, make it 20 and I minutes and I shorter. think
1: I think you know what yeah, I think the gripe is it's only ten, so it's half. That's it's, good. It's half, yeah, it's, I that's think, the so. biggest
2: problem with the movie. In, but uh, it, but anyway, shapes.
1: that is out there. Go see it. I don't you know. Nominations come up on Tuesday. I have no idea if if it'll do anything, but I really really enjoyed it. And Scorsese. I mean, this is. It's interesting because. Andrew Garfield in one in less than a year has done films directed by Martin Scorsese and Mel Gibson, <laughs> polar opposites as far as uh, cinematic Catholicism. Um, Indeed, and he's fine; he's he's doing okay. So, um, also opening in theaters this weekend. Speaking of potential Oscar nominees, and I hope more people see this. I, I I have a feeling there's always some Oscar contenders that kind of get lost by the wayside, and it's the film 20th Century Women which stars Annette Bening. Um, she plays a single mom in the seven, late 70s in California, her teenage son, and kudos to Lucas Jade Zuman, who's got a bounce off of Annette Bening, Elle Fanning, Greta Gerwig, and Billy Crudup. Wow. That's not bad training. Yeah. And uh, uh, Bening's character feels like she's lost touch with her son. She doesn't know how to raise a, a, a boy. So she asks a couple people who live in their boarding house, played by Elle Fanning and Greta Gerwig, the son has a crush on Al Fanning to help raise him.
4: Mm.
1: And it's so it's an ensemble family piece, but it's not it's not the family ensemble comedy that we get every Thanksgiving and Christmas where look, everybody doesn't get along and it's wacky shenanigans and by the last reel, because it's the holidays, we're all okay. It's right. not that. And it's not August Osage County. It's mm-hmm. not a, you know, it's not a family version of All About Eve where the knives are out. And <laughs> That's it's middle ground, right? It's really rooted. It, um, I, I thought it was riveting. I, some, I could see some people saying it's meandering. Uh, but I think it's because there aren't the giant life moments that don't happen all the time, and they don't happen within the span of a two-hour film. It's it's more rooted that
2: way. It's refreshing to see a movie that doesn't rely on those moments to get the dramatic impact. Exactly. Through.
1: So that's that's going to be the challenge. And uh, it's it is uh, written and directed by Mike Mills, who gave us Beginners. That was the film that oh, yeah. Christopher Plummer that won film. best. Yeah. So it's it's and it's very similar. There, there's and that's a similar tone. Mm. Um, that's of course Christopher Plummer plays uh, a will. A widow uh, widower who when his wife dies he comes out yeah to his and son
2: Ewan McGregor Ewan McGregor and that's another that forty or something
1: right we we've, we've seen coming out films we've seen coming out stories and it's not it's not a wacky thing it's th- that's another version of rooted human relationships Very grounded, yeah yeah and that's what this film is
2: so but you said Greta Gerwig I thought she was contractually obligated to not appear in any movie that wasn't Directed by Noah Baumbach. Is there oh, very something? fun. Oh, very I something good. There? Yeah. Well, he, he, and when Noah Baumbach wasn't available, Rebecca Miller filled okay. in, doing
1: another <laughs> Noah Baumbach film. Anyway, but you no, know, she's and she's quite good in this. Very it's cool. a she's a twenty-something cancer survivor, and and winds up having a little bit of a relationship with Billy Crudup, who looks like a a better looking Schneider, <laughs> or um, he's the handyman that's working on Annette Benning's house, or if the band in almost famous didn't do well and he went back to his regular job. <laughs> that's kind of what it is. So you know, good to see mustachioed long hair billy crude up again um anyway that's out in theaters also in theaters this weekend because there are some films you just have to put out in January. This is not one of them, but it's the thriller Split, written and directed by M. Light Shyamalan, and he, they're actually bragging about this one.
2: Yeah, I remember <laughs> it was, what, The Elevator Devil or something when people started laughing when his name popped up in trailers? Yeah, that's why— And the next, like, four movies, they just right, his name out of exactly. the marketing for Well,
1: it. and I think he had a bit of an upswing with the—I I liked The Visit. I thought his mm-hmm. version of the found footage film— um, yeah. worked out pretty well, and this one is is it's territory we've been to before. It's the kidnapping story. Three teenage girls are kidnapped, and they're put in a, uh, a saw like dungeon, and and then of course uh, they're they're trying to get out. There's three storylines here. There, it's it's the girls trapped and trying to get out. One of the girls, um, has and there's some flashbacks involving her character and then there is the kidnapper played by James McAvoy who has time with his therapist his psychologist played by Betty Buckley always good to see Betty Buckley mm. and stuff and regardless so that's the film and the fact that we have three storylines happening so it doesn't feel like you're stuck in one spot mm, it's not right. it's not you know 90 minutes of the girls trying to escape there's a little bit of that and then we cut away to this and then we cut away to that um, the girl, the three girls, aren't um. Fortunately, they're for the most part not your typical stereo, stereotypical dumb teenagers, as good, we've as we good. grew up on with slasher movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if anything else, the film is worth seeing for James McAvoy, mm. and he the, the on top of being you know a, a a bad guy who kidnaps teenage girls, he's got multiple personalities and we get to see really get to see five of them so we have uh the neat freak um an english woman a 9-year-old boy and a designer and so there's there's scenes of him with the psychologist scenes with, scenes with him and the girls and uh, you know it's it's kind of a, a high profile b movie um yeah. And But it works, I think it works, and there there's, there are some dumb moments there, and you expect those in these films. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to see it earlier this week with a full house, and there are moments that were made so the audience could yell they don 't care what the film <laughs> critics in the second row were doing. There because there are just moments where you, the audience has to yell at the screen.
2: Right, right. and I, I remember the early trailers for it. It looked really intense, and then I saw it was PG thirteen. I was like, "How do you?" I mean, everything you described, comparing it to Saw, it does not make it sound like a PG thirteen movie. It
1: it does. Yeah, there's. I mean, as far as blood stuff, no, there's none of that. Um, you know, content. I guess about thematic elements. Woo. right. But um, <laughs> you know, and some half dressed girls because of the neat freak. It, you know, it's it could have gone down several paths that we've been through before. And it does, for the most part, doesn't do that. Um... But again, this is not this is not everyone's favorite date date film. I I understand that.
2: But it's nice to see uh, Shyamalan getting some positive reviews again. I I think he is. A lot of people really enjoyed his first two or three films, especially and four or five for some people.
1: And I yeah, I know. I think it's yeah because his third when your third film is The Sixth Sense, (laughs) and people are still comparing it to it's it's been eighteen years. so and yeah, he hasn't come close. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. But I'm, I'm I am saying this along with the visit. Obviously, they're better than his last four films. Great, and that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but you know, for for a couple of hours, yeah. And and at the very least, like I said, you go for James McAvoy, and hopefully you have a good time with the rest. Awesome. Um, um I'm gonna word this carefully. The ending of this film. Feels like it should have been used during the closing credits. Looking at you, Marvel, and it—it's a throwback. It's—it's a move that Shyamalan does that, in my opinion, he hasn't earned the right to do it. Interesting. I'm just gonna leave it at that. And—and and when it happened, uh, my fellow IFJA guy Joe Shear asked a bunch of people if he un- if folks understood the last shot. And most of them did not. Interesting. But on the flip side, of course, being a devil's playing devil's advocate and being a jerk, I said, (laughs) "I said, you know what? Um, How much of the mall crowd knew Peter Cushing in Rogue One?" Yeah. So it's kind of like it's kind of like that. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave it right there. Sounds like one I'll catch on Netflix someday. Hopefully. Sure. That'll work. Okay. Um, Moving on to Iu Cinema. And, of course, this all depends on what time you listen to this show, folks. So I'm going to give you calendar dates. You know, if you listen, or if you listen on Saturdays, good for you. If you're listening on Monday, well. Um, 3 o'clock, Saturday, January 21st, is part of the CineKids series and the International Art House series, The Eagle Huntress. Oh, wow. So that's pretty cool. From 1994 at 7 o'clock is the staff selection, the drama, romantic drama, When a Man Loves a Woman. Meg Ryan and Andy Garcia, with uh, Meg Ryan as the alcoholic. Sunday, the 22nd at 3 p.m., The Eagle Huntress, and 6.30 p.m. as part of the International Art House Series, Harry Benson Shoot First. Next Thursday and next Friday at 7 o'clock as a part of the International Art House Series, Reservoir Dogs. Wow. Students, it's a chance to see Tarantino on the big screen. Do it. Isn't
2: this the anniversary year, your 25th anniversary? It is.
1: Wow. It is. I can't remember the actual release date, but there are people on social media that do that for us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and then Saturday, January 28th at 3 p.m., The Philadelphia Story, oh, a wow. must-see. And at 7 o'clock, the 2017 Iris Film Festival. That is all happening between now and next week.
2: If you haven't seen the Philadelphia story, or if you don't watch black and white movies for some inane oh, reason, okay. go check so, out the Philadelphia story. Thank
1: you. Yeah, if you go to my Facebook or Twitter page, at Matthew Sosie, I was on Indie Style on Friday. And uh, so I was on there to talk about my favorite cinematic presidents. If we have time, I'll discuss my list. Um, but uh, right before I'm going on. And I had, I had chatted with some of the folks behind the scenes, and about ten seconds before we go on the air, I had brought up my favorite president is Peter Sellers in Doctor Strangelove, President Muffley. and somebody in the uh, somebody on the on the crew said they don't watch black and white movies. Oh. Ten seconds before we go on, and you can see it on my <laughs> face. When we when when the camera comes back and I'm there and, and we're and, and lovely host is talking with me and she could you could just see she she even brought it up. She's like, oh, we had some lively conversation before the show started. Uh-huh. You could see the disdain on my the RBF on my face when <laughs> when I have it. So please go see black and white films, go see subtitle films and go exactly. see films that were made before you're born, for God's sake. <laughs> anyway, um, our, OK, that's oh, again, depending on when you hear the show. January, January 20th and 21st at the Artcraft Theater in Franklin, Indiana at 2 and 7.30 p.m. Muppet Treasure Island Oh, wow. with Tim Curry and the Muppets. Uh, and then mark your calendars February 10th and 11th at 2 and 7.30 p.m. The African Queen, February 24th and 25th, 2 and 7.30 p.m. The Princess Bride. And then March 3rd and 4th, Heartland Film Festival, Best of the Fest. Awesome. There you go. Okay, couple titles... Sort of worth mention, maybe mentioning that it comes out on DVD this week. Uh, the Girl on the Train. If you haven't seen Gone Girl, you'll really like this film. <laughs> That's about that. Um, also, uh, Keeping Up with the Joneses. Yes, our fu- your fussy suburban neighbors are Isla Fisher and Zach Galifianakis.
2: And then there are spies and stuff, right?
1: The, the spies are John Hamm and Gail Goddard. Um, yeah, because when I think frumpy suburban housewives, I think Isla Fisher. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to like them. I like them, yeah. but not in this. And also on DVD and Blu-ray, Ouija Origin of Evil.
2: Is that the second? How many That's of those sec- have they made? I don't oh
1: know. my goodness. That's all right. It's somebody at The Onion, at the AV Club, they have a thing called Run the Series. This week they talked about Underworld. Oh, wow. Somebody had to. <laughs> a couple old titles on Blu-ray. Um, Criterion put out Something Wild. Not that one. The one with Carol Baker and Ralph Meeker. And a film I, I need to revisit because it's so much fun. It's a fun, pulpy, 50s drama. Bad Day at Black Rock. I'll tell you why. You have Lee Marvin, you have Ernest Borgnine, you have Ann Fisher, and the star of it is a judo chopping one one armed. Now he's not one armed one arm doesn't work well. He uses his other one, judo chopping. Spencer Tracy. Wow. A stranger who comes into a small town. Robert Ryan's in it as well. A stranger comes into a small town and just messes people up, and it's Spencer Tracy. <laughs> so take that, Liam Neeson. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. That's worth checking out. So uh, I want to get to uh, some dead people we like because we don't have time for dead people we don't like. And, and yes, I, people are already joking about 2017 celebrity deaths up and running. But uh, Miguel Ferrer passed away, and uh, you probably best know him from uh, RoboCop, and he was in Iron Man 3.
2: Twin Peaks, right? Right,
1: Twin Peaks as well. we're going through, Um, God, the man who wasn't there from 1983, Flashpoint, which I remember seeing. Uh, Yeah, he, of course, was Bob Morton in the original RoboCop. Um, Yeah, federal FBI agent Albert Rosenfeld.
2: In yeah. Twin Peaks, I'm curious if he'll if he's shot his stuff for the for the new series or not. I'm not I, sure I if he was included.
1: Uh, point of no return, Hot Shots Part Due. another stakeout, blank check. Then, well, in the '90s, you got to work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Death in Grenada, Sunshine State. I know he also did um, Silver City with. Uh, he worked with John Sales a couple of times um the mini series of the shining oh boy uh, but anyway that but also from a from a hollywood family and uh a kind of a classic that guy yeah You've yeah you'd him.
2: recognize him and he was only 61 i think only 61
1: yeah so that's bomb and then uh writer william peter Blatty, who gave us the exorcist yeah thank him um he did that he also directed the ninth configuration the exorcist 3 And uh, and Legion. I forgot he directed Legion with uh, Paul Bettany. Was Johnny Depp in The Ninth Configuration? Why am I
2: thinking Johnny Depp? No, this is the
1: one with Stacey Keach. Okay, you're thinking of The Ninth Gate. That's the one. I'm way off. No, way, way off. But um, (laughs) but no, he, uh, William Peter Blatty, also did the screenplays for A Shot in the Dark, Um, Gun, The Great Bank Robbery from 1969. He wrote Darling Lily with uh, Rock Hudson and Julie Andrews. Uh, uncredited screenplay credit for the Omega Man, <laughs> and of course wrote the novel and won an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for The Exorcist. Wow! And then The Exorcist Three—that's that's, that's kind of if if they called it something else, anything, yeah, you know, it would have <laughs> been. It's kind of like Tony Iommi wanted to put out Tony o- Iommi solo records, but Warner Brothers wouldn't let him, so they became Black Sabbath records. <laughs> even though he was the only original <laughs> member. So, all right, um, I was thinking of Tim because uh there there are times where uh my wife and daughter were out of the house and you that's the time you just watch films that you don't have to explain exactly and uh so there are three titles I have I've now asked him to look up and look into his purview one is Twins of Evil with Peter Cushing and a pair of playboy twins who play well one of them becomes a vampire but it's uh yeah hammer this is the hammer horror film by the early 70s so you have the vampire lovers and vampire circus, and there's a little more nudity. And, you know, so there's there's that kind of nude vampire thing and the a little bit of witch finders general because Peter Cushing's a witch hunter.
2: And uh, Peter Cushing's just amazing in everything. And that director, John Huff, I don't, I guess you don't know how to say his last name, but he right. bounced around from Hammer Horror to Disney movies, all sorts of stuff.
1: Yes, um, I think he did escape from which mountain? If yeah. I remember right, yeah, and Legend of Hell House, which I oh yeah, so Roddy McDowell, well. yeah. So anyway, that's uh, John Holt, That's happening. Um, another one that I I've always seen the poster for it, never saw it, and it turned out to be better than I thought. Um, the 1983 Canadian slasher film Curtains, which has John Vernon and Samantha Samantha Agar, and mm. it's he plays a director. He brings a bunch of aspiring actresses to his house. And he kind of plays mind games with them, some more than others, for a (laughs) role in his film. But there's somebody in the group that's killing off people one by one. Linda Thorson's in the film as well. And I think it's Lynn Griffin, if I remember right, I knew her as the woman from Strange Brew. Hmm. I'm like, oh, that lady. That's cool. (laughs) So, yeah, not a dumb teenager film. And then I saw a film I've always heard about. And I saw the cast. And the cast is more fascinating than the film itself. It's called Venom. And it's a kidnapping thriller mixed in with snakes on a plane. Basically, (laughs) there's a a poisonous snake who is mistakenly given to the wrong person, which is really dumb, especially because Sarah Miles has a great credibility as a scientist. I'm like, your office shouldn't do this. But your kidnappers (laughs) are Klaus Kinski, Oliver Reed, Susan George, Sterling Hayden plays the grandfather, Nicole Williamson plays the police officer on the case, and Sarah Miles – I want a, I want footage of the rap party for that film. Heck of More than the film is film's not bad. Film film could lose about maybe 15 minutes. Okay. Um and and there's a great commentary by the director who said that Oliver Reed and Klaus Kinski hated each other and Reed could push buttons. Klaus Kinski, <laughs> I know Klaus Kinski could talk a great game. He also, I think, knew Oliver Reed could just pick him up by the ankles and bludgeon right. him to death. I've never heard of anybody getting along with Klaus Kinski, though, to be fair. Except for maybe Werner Herzog, and that's After a, they pulled guns with, on each with other? With friends, I mean, they were, and they were together again. <laughs> with, you know, that's why his document, My Best Fiend. So... <laughs> Anyway, those are three old titles, Tim, to, to go check out. What have you yeah. been watching
2: recently? We got about two and a half minutes. Well, this went fast. One of the more memorable ones was Ratman from 1988, I not think. Not Rat Boy. No, 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 not Rat Boy. This is some crazy scientist on some Central American island decides to mutate. Rat DNA with a person, I guess. And Island then of Doctor like, Brat Moe. Yeah. With with no budget, filming in <laughs> deserted locations with a couple of models who are some of the first victims and then the last victims and then there's a writer detective guy who's also trying to find out what's going on. Basically, everyone dies at the end, and and I think the rat boy <laughs> oh, kills way the to scientist. Go. It's it's a thirty year old movie now almost, so we can get away with spoilers. <laughs> Plus, I'm not sure where you can find it. <laughs> Where'd and you then, find it, or can you tell us? Uh, I it it existed somewhere. A where friend I was able gave to it to you. It. I'm holding yeah. it for a friend. Yeah, don't be don't be that guy. He's so, not that guy. He knows so. the guy who's that guy. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, with my with my almost two year old at home, you know, there's stuff I can put on during the day that I don't have to pay attention to and then there's stuff if I'm like exercising or something that I'll watch. So I can revisit some good classics. If you love Korean horror thrillers, there's a film called The Wailing on Netflix now. Two and a half hours long. Phenomenal film. Reminded me of of, of, of several other different films. And then, if, if I'm running after him and he's not paying attention, I put on Sharknado 3 and then <laughs> 2 in that order for some reason, because it's been a while <laughs> since I've seen the first one. It's like, did, did I miss did, 10 minutes? I missed su- nothing. The subtle it's nuances? Fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly, the subtle nuances. You know, I, I love in those films just, you can see the, the plot points that came out in in the concept papers, because they hit them so hard and so loud, and, and it's just amazing that it got half-made. I mean, they're all half-made, and that's the fun part. Wasn't there a fourth one? There is, and I haven't seen it. so I was confused so at the end of the third one not quite a spoiler but Tara Reid's character everybody is safe she has literally given birth to her child inside of a shark that is falling from space I'm not making this up it was a fantastic moment she has delivered her own baby her husband goes in with a chainsaw, gets it out. She walks down the beach alone, and at the last second, this piece of shuttle um, uh, debris has falling on her, and, and it ends. And I guess Twitter was allowed to decide if she lives or not. So I haven't seen the fourth one. I don't know if she lived or not in the fourth one. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even making that I up. I know you're not. I know <laughs> you're not. That's, that's what's frightening. They're not too good, but if you— can have something on and not pay attention to it that and, much. And chase and a two-year-old. Sharks. Yeah, chase a two-year-old around when he's not paying attention. If he's paying attention, you need to turn it off. Ladies and gentlemen, some
1: words to live by. Soylent Green is people. Zardoz has spoken. Tim, we're, we're going to have you back in a few weeks. Oh, this so is great. Thanks. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> Go see a good movie. You deserve it. We all do. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan.